0: What is going on, my fellow Norse nerds? My name is John Solo, and every good hero needs a noble steed. The Lone Ranger had Silver, Bellerophon had Pegasus, Gandalf had Shadowfax. (coughs) Oh, and we can't forget Donkey, of course. All right, I hope you heard that. She called me a noble steed. Well, as noble and impressive as these horses are, there is one that stands out as the best of the best. His name is Sleipnir, and his master is none other than the king of the Aesir, the Allfather himself, Odin. If you've seen any episode of this show before, chances are you've heard the name Sleipnir at least once because he appears in several prominent Norse myths. Granted, he doesn't always have a huge role because he is indeed a horse, but make no mistake, he is incredibly valuable to the Aesir, and you might be surprised to hear that they have Loki to thank for his existence. And now I present to you the messed up mythology of Sleipnir. Chapter one. Just like every other episode of Norse Mythology Explained, you can find all the information we're covering today in two books. The first is called the Prose Edda, and it was written by an Icelandic poet named Snorri Sturluson around 1200 AD. Snorri's writings were heavily influenced by Christianity, but to this day, the Prose Edda is the most informative resource we have about Norse mythology. Its only competitor is our other source for today, the Poetic Edda, a collection of works crafted by Norse poets who will remain forever nameless because they didn't bother to write anything down themselves. There's a chapter in the Prosetta called the Gilfaginning, And in this chapter, we learn a ton about Norse beliefs. Everything from the creation of our world to the destruction of it is covered. And between those two points, we're told about Sleipnir. Sleipnir is the steed of Odin. He's gray, has eight legs, and he's the best of all horses. What does that mean? Just think of all the things horses are good at. Running, jumping, quadratic functions, Sleipnir is the best at all of them. Every day the Aesir ride their horses across the Bifrost, the burning rainbow bridge that connects Asgard to Midgard. And every day Odin leads their charge while riding on the back of Sleipnir. Another journey that Sleipnir takes surprisingly often is to the Norse equivalent of the underworld, Hell or Helheim, as some people like to call it, even though that's not technically correct. The journey is no easy task, and entails riding through complete darkness for nine days and nine nights. Yet still, Sleipnir has never flinched when called upon for duty. Whether it was Odin looking to meet with a seer and get answers about his son Baldr's nightmares, or Ermod who rode Sleipnir straight to House palace to ask the queen herself if Baldr could return to Asgard. That being said, Sleipnir wasn't only used for serious matters. That'd be like owning a Ferrari and only using it in car chases. Sleipnir was a specimen, and Odin found great joy in showing him off to beings in other realms. Only one time, this led to Thor getting in a pretty epic fight. See, Odin and Sleipnir were trotting their way through Jotunheim, not given a good god about who saw them when a giant named Hrunyir called up from below that the Allfather had a magnificent horse. By the way, I say from below because Sleipnir had the power to ride through the air and over the water like it was a hard surface. So he and Odin were essentially flying in midair when Hrunyir called out to them. Only Odin, who just can't take a compliment with class, has to respond by saying, yeah, he is a nice horse and he's probably a lot faster than anything you've got over here in butthole high. Naturally, Hunir was not gonna take this disrespect, so he summoned his noble steed, Goldfax, whose name I believe inspired the name of Gandalf's horse, Shadowfax. Fortunately and unsurprisingly, Odin is able to outrun Hunir and Goldfax thanks to his trusty Mount Sleipnir, but the giant does eventually reach Asgard, where he comes face to face with the God of Thunder himself and is ultimately killed. If you wanna hear the rest of that story, check out my episode on the messed up origins of Thor after this episode. In the meantime, brace yourself for the very messed up myth of Slepnir's birth. Chapter 2. This story takes place in the early days of the universe. The gods had just completed the construction of Midgard and Valhalla, and it was time for them to focus on their own dwelling. Not long after they had begun their new project, a mysterious man entered their domain to make them an offer. He would build the Aesir, the biggest, mightiest fortress possible, a fortress that would protect them from all threats, like giants and trolls, and he would build it in less than three and a half years. It sounds like a hell of an offer, but his payment is steep. He demands to be given the sun, the moon and the beautiful Freya, the Vanir goddess associated with love, fertility, war, and gold. After hearing this, the Aesir came together in council and agreed that while the offer was tempting, the price was too great. Then they counter offered with terms of their own. Instead of three and a half years, the builder would have one winter to finish the berg. And if any part of it wasn't complete by the first day of summer, the contract would be void. Also, no other man could help him out. The builder pondered this proposition for a moment and said that if he could use his horse, Fathalfari for help, he would accept. And the Edda says that at the suggestion of Loki, this was granted him. Remember that detail because it's going to come up later. Pretty much immediately after the building process began, the Aesir noticed that Svathalfari, the horse they let the Builder use, was doing at least 50% more work than the Builder himself. They felt like they had been deceived, or some might say, had a taste of their own medicine, and they wanted to sabotage the Builder. But their agreement was made in front of witnesses and under oath because the Builder knew the Aesir could not be trusted. Another reason for that oath was that Thor wasn't present when the deal was made. He was fighting trolls over in the East, and if he saw the Builder when he Return, he might just assume he's an intruder and kill him on sight so the builder needed a guarantee this wouldn't happen. At this point, we skip a few months into the future toward the end of winter. The berg is standing high and strong and is only a few days away from being finished. The only thing left to add is the front gate and the gods are shaking in their boots. Once again, they form a council to discuss the situation and not long after the meeting commences, tempers start to flare. The Aesir are asking each other, whose bright idea was this? Why did we make a deal with some random bloke none of us know and risk plunging the heavens into dark not to mention, we're going to lose Freya. That's when they realized this was all Loki's fault. He was the one who insisted the task was impossible and allowed for the Builder to use his horse. Well, after blame was found, the solution was simple. The Aesir told Loki that it was up to him to stop the wall from being built. And if he didn't, they would kill him in the most painful way possible. Cut to that evening. The Builder and Svathalfari are out on the construction site doing their thing and making a concerning amount of progress on that front gate, when suddenly a real nice looking lady horse emerges from the woods. She had already caught Sfatlifari's attention, but when she strutted her stuff and neighed at him, he went wild and broke out of his reins to chase after her. Funnily enough, the builder started chasing after both of them, but it was no use. He pursued them all night without success, and now too much time had been lost for them to finish the build before the first day of summer. The builder did his best to get the job done, but by dawn the next day, he saw his work wasn't going to be completed and said, You know what? this. And suddenly he began to grow until he was towering over the Aesir and his face morphed from an unassuming man's to a hideous giant's. After seeing the builder take his true form and confirm their suspicions, the Aesir considered their contract to be void. So they called up Thor and had him settle the matter once and for all. Then as the Prosetta puts it, he came straight away, swung his hammer Mjolnir and paid the workmen his wages, not with the sun and moon, but rather by preventing him from dwelling in Jotunheim. And this was easily done with the first blow of the hammer, which broke his skull into small pieces and sent him down to Niflhel. But now you might be wondering what happened with Svathalfari? Surely he was innocent in all this and didn't deserve the same punishment as his master, right? That's right. In fact, Svathalfari had the happiest ending of them all. After running a long and tiring race with that beautiful mare, he got laid and never again did he come in contact with the Aesir. But here's the thing. Do you remember how the Aesir told Loki that the wall being built was his fault and it was up to him to stop it? Well, thanks to them all vowing not to get involved, Loki had to find a fix without the giants ever discovering their collusion. So he used his magic to take the form of a beautiful young mare. Yes, it was Loki who distracted Svathalfari, but I'm willing to bet that banging him was not part of the original plan, even though that's what happened. I can totally imagine Loki in his horse form, realizing after 10 or so hours of being chased, that he once again bit off more than he could chew that the only way to get Spatthafari off his back would be to let him mount it so that's what he did loki took a big one for the team and about 11 months later he returned to the aesir only he wasn't alone trotting alongside him was a young grey foal with 8 feet it was his son slepnir and he would grow up to be the best of all horses chapter 3 What do you think are the odds that Disney ever incorporates that myth into the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Personally, I think a scene where Tom Hiddleston gives birth to a horse is exactly what the next phase of the MCU needs. Not to mention, Disney already kind of pulled a similar gag with a fake female horse in Hercules, but that was back in the 90s, so they're overdue for another one. Seriously though, as you'd imagine, this was not one of Loki's proudest moments. He wasn't prone to letting things get under his skin, but there were a few events in his life that he preferred not to be reminded about, and this was one one of them. But it wasn't the only occasion where Loki took the form of a feminine being. There is, of course, the myth where Thor has to marry the giant and Loki has to disguise himself as a handmaiden. And in the poem called *Lokasenna*, where Loki roasts all of the gods that are dining in Aegir's hall, Odin shames the trickster for spending eight years on Earth, quote, as a cow in milk and as a woman, and you've given birth to children. I call that a pervert's way of living. And if Odin, along with the rest of the Aesir, think less of Loki because of his time spent as a cow and a woman, just imagine what they think about him getting railed by a horse. At least Odin got a brand new fortress and a new steed out of it, right? It's funny how Slepnir could be one of Odin's most prized possessions while simultaneously one of Loki's most shameful reminders. I'm very curious to hear your thoughts on this one now. Does knowing that Loki was impregnated by a horse and gave birth to one change the way you see him now? And If you were Loki, how would you have tried to stop the wall from being built? Thank you all for tuning in to the Messed Up Origins podcast. We're posting episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So don't forget to sacrifice the five-star and follow buttons to the algorithm gods to make sure they bless your feed with more mythological and folklore content. If you have any thoughts on this episode you'd like to share, like if you really enjoyed it or are dying to correct my pronunciation of something, hit me up under the Messed Up Origins handles on Twitter and Instagram. And to those who are craving more Messed Up Origins, feel free to check out other episodes of the podcast or look up my YouTube channel called John Solo to experience the original episodes complete with visual aids and custom-made artwork. Until next time, Solo fam, my name is John Solo, and don't forget, John shot first.